chapter number 7. We'll read a few verses, 2 or 3. Chapter number 8, 3 or 4 verses, and then chapter number 9. We preached yesterday on the birth of worship. Aren't you glad for the day when worship was born in your heart? Always comes as a result of redemption and a resurrection. But once it happens, it'll never die. As an eternal word, just keeps on moving. I thought about Naomi. Every time that little old boy pity-patted in the room, worship took over. She'd raise that hand and say, Thank you, Lord, for redemption. Thank you, Lord, for a resurrection. Every time they looked across the table, no matter how old he was, worship took over. They just couldn't help but worship. I love to worship. But I want us to look here in these few verses for a few moments this morning. And I want to preach on the birth of grace or born of grace. I'm dealing with uh, the Apostle Paul. I want to read what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to emphasize this. He said, and last of all, he was seen of me also as a one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul summarized himself, and he said it was all of grace. I realize that grace existed before Paul. The Bible said Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But it's as if that God birthed this truth of grace in him. And he did so because he wanted to speak this truth of grace through him. That it might reach down to you and I even in this hour. And I want us to look at this matter of the birth of grace. Born of grace as far as Paul is concerned. Let's look in chapter number seven and uh, verse 58, 59, and 60. We have heard the song Amazing Grace, but I want to borrow a little phrase I heard a while back. It is the phrase, a maze of grace. You know what a maze is, don't you? Uh, the fall of the year, they'll take all those bales of hay and they'll stack them in such a way that once you enter in, you've just got to find out how to get to the other side. And when I look at Paul's life, 
I see not only amazing grace, but I see a maze of grace. It's hard to see where it's going to start, the direction it's going to take, and where it goes out. But this is not only so for Paul's life, this is so for your life and my life. We are all saved by the amazing grace of God. But in that amazing grace of God in all of our lives, it is a maze of grace. And I want us to look at this grace that uh, does a birthing work as far as Paul is concerned, as far as you're concerned, and I'm concerned. Let's look at verse 58, 59, verse 60, Acts chapter number 7. Of course, we know the story. Stephen has been tried and uh, they are going to stone him. The Bible said in verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8 and verse 1, And Saul was consenting, encouraging, desiring, consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, having men and women committed them to prison. Chapter number nine, let's begin in verse number one. We're emphasizing the Saul before he becomes the Paul. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man. 
But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. To him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas of one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on, the name, on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. We understand that there were 12 apostles. Judas, of course, who betrayed Christ, hung himself. The other 11 got together and they cast the lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and they said, all right, now we've got the office filled. Uh, we've got 12 apostles and that's all we'll ever need. But God said, no, I got one more. And I'm going to birth him by grace. But haven't we all been birthed by grace? But when we pick up with this Apostle Paul, I'll just give you three simple thoughts. I'm using the thought of this maze of grace. When we pick up with the Apostle Paul, what we realize, first of all, is that God's grace was working in his life before he was aware of grace. As a matter of fact, Paul was a man who majored on the law. I don't even think grace was in his vocabulary. But yet God was working by grace to save him in a couple of ways. Galatians 1 verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by grace. The maze of grace is that while he was in conception and in his mother's womb, that God Almighty was in intricate detail to every part of who he was. His very DNA as the Lord said to Jeremiah, I formed thee in thy mother's belly. David said, we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. And to understand that grace started long before you realized there was grace. That even in the beginning of who you were, 
God had injected his grace to bring you to where you are. In the womb, he was issuing and using grace to bring us forth. We could all think back in our own lives beyond the point of salvation to see this maze of grace that was working. In my family, I've preached enough here for you to know the details of it. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic all of his days. I was the youngest of 11 children. Two died early on whom I did not know. A mother left when I was a year and a half old, never set eyes on her. All I know is the history of what I've been told by those who were familiar with the situation when she was there. And from what I've been told, they never did really like one another, but they got married. Uh, it's on record, West Virginia. <laughs> I heard that. I moved to Alabama and folks said they'll make fun of you. I said, I'm from West Virginia. I've heard it all. (laughs) It's on record that he tried to kill her by pushing her out of a Jeep. And then another time, uh, my elder sister saw him push her down a long flight of steps while she was expecting Uh, My brother, who's 13 years older than I am, Brother Bobby knows my brother Joe, He told me the story how when he was 13 years old, he stood between my mother and a passed out father. And she had a knife in her hand. She's going to kill him while he was passed out. He said, if I hadn't stopped her, she would have. To say the least, I was raised in a dysfunctional family. But I always tell folks it didn't affect me none. But here's the thing about it. They had 11 children. Now you could understand, you know, slipping up and having one child and realizing that you don't get along and so let's just quit. But they had two and then three. Then they had four and then they had five. I can hear people saying, Lord help, surely they're not going to have six. All they do is fight and squabble and drink and carouse and then they had seven. Went on to have eight, and then the news was spread, number nine was coming, and then 10. Now, anybody with common sense would know under those circumstances you would stop with 10. But they went on and had number 11. Somebody said, Why'd they do that? You're looking at him. God said, I want one more. Because by my grace, I'm going to save one more. Put my gospel in one more. On the other hand, I spoke of my wife yesterday, raised in the mountains of North Carolina. Her family was completely different than mine. Raised under the influence of the gospel, the godly preachers and so on. But her parents, uh, as I said yesterday, had six young'uns and then waited five years and found out they were having another young. And uh, again, they were 46 years old. 
And they, they were not pleased that they were having another union, which was the seventh one. Somebody said, well, why in the world did they go ahead and have the set? Why did, they, why, did, why did God organize? Why did they have seven? I'll tell you why. He wanted a seven with an 11. You can't beat it. 7-Eleven. God's grace was in the womb. God's grace is in everything that I am. Physically and spiritually, I am what I am by the grace of God. But not only by the womb do we see this maze of grace, a maze of grace. Who would have thought it? Who would have figured it? But we also see it by, let me preface it by reading what he had to say about how he was raised. He said, born in Tarsus, brought up in the city, at the feet of Gamaliel, which was one of the greatest teachers of that day as we know, mentioned in Acts. Taught according to the perfect manner of the law. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee. In other words, no man any more religious than what Saul was. Because the Orthodox Jew would take that boy and from an early age they would school him in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They would teach him about the prophets and their uh, prophecies, their sayings. They would cause them to memorize great portions of the Old Testament. They would teach them diligently and in his case put him in the finest institution uh, to sit at the feet of the finest teacher of the hour to produce the finest Pharisee that concerning the manner of the law was perfect. This was Saul. The whole Old Testament had been consumed and no doubt digested by him. Because this is the reason that he hated Christ and the followers of Christ because he was a lover of the religion of the Jews and the teachings of the scriptures that he had memorized For all of those years, religion had got a hold of him. But here's the thing about it. Not only was God's grace working in the womb, but God's grace was working in the word. Because that Old Testament was the word of God. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The word of God. Now that religious crowd didn't understand or know 
that every verse they had him memorized, they, was, they were taking, it was like they were putting kindling, preparing for some kind of a fire. They were putting everything that needed to be put in his life. Piling one stick of wood after another into his life. All of those verses, all of that Old Testament was all put in him. Little did they know that all that he needed was a combustible, something to set that on fire. He's full of the Bible. As religious as a man could be and yet hating Christ and hating the saints but he's got all that in him until one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up and threw a match on it and boom. Grace blew up in him. As we know, the Old Testament conceals Christ. But oh, I'm going to tell you, when God set a flame to his heart, he revealed Christ. And instantaneous, no wonder he became the greatest of the apostles. None of them had the book in him like he did. No wonder he had such a flame for Christ. Nobody saw Christ like he saw Christ. Because in that great mind that he had, he could go back through those Old Testament types and figures and scriptures, and man, they just come alive. They just shoot out. Grace had worked not only in the womb, but it had worked in the Word. That's a maze of grace. Who would have believed that? Maze of grace. A maze of grace. You know, this is not just about me and you. As we've just heard preached. Brother Blue. It's about one more. It's about one more. And what grace is doing in Paul, understand, he can do in other hearts. And somewhere out there, I'm thinking of this apostle Paul in relations to those who are out there right now that do not know him how that grace has already been working for a while and we don't know it and they don't know it. And who knows when grace is going to show up to where we can all see it. But if we could have went back in that day and interviewed the church of that hour, we could have said, uh, you know, this fellow by the name of Saul, you saw Ananias' reaction. I wonder if they ever prayed for Saul. Why would you? 
He's a terrorist. He's a murderer. He's a persecutor. He says himself he's a blasphemer. I wonder if they ever even thought he could be saved. I mean, they were probably calling him the Antichrist. And in that day, I mean, as far as the church is concerned, there was no man no more evil than what Saul was. Watch him as he cold-heartedly goes into those homes and rips those parents away from those children and listen to those screams and those cries and watch as they are being tortured and watch as they are being slaughtered and watch as they are being enslaved. And he's standing there brazenly consenting and approving, giving the auspices to every bit of it. I wonder if they even bothered to pray for but oh listen don't underestimate grace and it may be the worst of the situations in your son's life it may be the worst of the situations in your daughter's life it may be the worst of situations in your church life it could be the worst of the situations but thank God don't underestimate where grace is working and what grace can do Who would have known that Paul was going to be the one more? He was going to save by grace of all people. He's the spearhead of antagonism and hate of Christ and the church. He's the leader in it. Vicious and vile. But in the midst of all that, there is a maze of grace. Working before he was aware of grace. The second thing that I would emphasize to you is that this this grace was not only working before he was aware of grace, but thank God grace was working to make him aware of grace. That's where we come to this. Well, it is found, again, it is a maze of grace that brings him to the place to where he realizes that there is grace. And understand, that's what he's bringing him to. He's bringing him to the revelation, is he not? The revelation of the grace of God. But he's going to have to know it if he's going to share it. So he's bringing him to this understanding of this marvelous truth and making him aware of it in a couple of ways. The first thing he uses seems to be the Christians, the Christians. The very ones that he's torturing. Think about it. He has stood and watched Stephen stoned, but he just heard the greatest sermon he ever heard. It was Stephen who preached to him. And if you go throughout the epistles of Paul, you'll see scattered through there that sermon. In a nutshell, that go to Galatians, all the way through there. He's he's bringing out what Stephen preached to him. (laughs) It was the saint that, that he hated that preached to him. But not only did he preach to him, the last thing he ever heard from Stephen was a prayer for him. 
I pray for all of these. And of course, all of these, the number one was Paul. Honey, if this world is ever going to see grace, they're going to have to see grace in me and they're going to have to see grace in you. This grace not only working in us, but working through us. Using Ananias, who didn't even want to get, he'd rather handle a rattlesnake than he'd have went to the apostle Paul. Uses me in this maze of grace. He brings us together in different ways with different people because he wants that grace to to touch others' lives. He's working to make him aware of grace not only through the Christians, but I notice that he says to him in verse number five, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, if you've ever been under Holy Ghost conviction, you don't need an explanation. One mountain fellow said, you don't have to explain that to anybody. It's been convicted. I mean, there ain't nothing sharper than the prodding and the pricking of the Holy Ghost. That's right. And here Paul is going like a tornado, like a torrent across the country. He wants to annihilate this thing called Christianity. He wants to nip it in the bud. But before it's all over with, what you realize is he's hurting them. Yes, he is, but it seems like it's hurting him more than it's hurting them. Because every time he kicks, he said, oh, man, I didn't, where's that coming from? Every time he looks into the eyes of one of those saints that's fixing to die, he's seeing a picture of heaven. He can't believe how they're dying. As he hears them in their last breath, uh, praising God or saying, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. Oh, man. I'm going to have to sleep with that tonight. I don't want to sleep with that. Why oh, could have went all day without saying that? That's a hurting me. I even remember those times when religion didn't mean anything to you, church didn't mean anything to you, even preaching didn't mean anything. As a kid, maybe you was raised up in church and you heard all them little gospel sermons and all them little gospel songs until one day all of that came like a prod right in your side and it come alive. Oh, man. the most miserable, them or him. He's being pricked. It's hurting him. He's being gouged. Got a preacher friend, Florence, Alabama, talks about how he got saved. His wife got saved and she had the nerve to tell him that she had invited the preacher one of the men of the church to come over and visit. He said, that made me so mad. Want nothing to do with that. But he said, here they come, knocking on the door. 
And he said, I had a little old room in my house. I called it my smoke room. Said it wasn't even a 10 by 10. But I'd get in there and I'd just smoke. My business, my world, I'd smoke. He said, I figured out what I'd do to these birds. I'd smoke them out. He said, I took them in that little room and said, the couches, you just, you know, wasn't, wasn't two or three feet apart and they were sitting there. He said, I smoked one cigarette and then I lit another one with that one. I smoked that and I lit another one. And said, there's a coffin and everything else. And said, finally, he said, well, we better go. He said, okay. He said, I smoked them all the way to the door. And I told my wife, I said, that shows them. I smoked them out. I don't want none of that. But he said, enough of what they said through the smoke got in my mind. And he said, after the guy, after they got to leaving, he said, it took a week or two. He said, man, I couldn't even get drunk and enjoy it. Said, the liquor didn't even taste good. Said, I got the world, didn't even want to smoke. Said, I was a miserable man. Said, that gospel that had got a hold of me, I couldn't sleep. Said, it made me meaner than a junkyard dog. And finally, I come out of that room one day. I went in out of my wife and she, she, he said, you call that preacher. You tell him to come over here or I'll go over there or we'll meet in the middle. I don't care where he wants to meet. I need to meet him. I said, what happened, Ernie? He said, God smoked me out. Saul did these things, but he did not do it without pain. Every time he consented to the death of one, God would prick his heart by what they said. When Stephen died, he pricked his heart. It seemed as though a dagger went in him and every situation of which he was trying to cause harm, it brought hurt. I say to you, in Saul's life, there was a maze of grace. Working before he was aware of grace and working to make him aware of grace. There's a preacher testifying in a meeting here a while back. He said, I guess in his early 20s, and he said, what gang of them boys would do is they'd go out and they'd steal stuff that had copper in it. And then they'd haul it on a truck to an old house on a farm. And they'd go in there at night and they'd take the copper out of it. And then they'd sell the copper. He said, we'd done that for a good while. And he said, one day he was in there and said, we just finished ripping all the copper out and guessing about how much money we'd made. And said, I walked out and said, I walked down the steps of that uh, old farm house and he said, the Holy Ghost stopped me and said, son, you know there's a better life than this. And he said, automatically he shot through my mind at about a six or seven, five or six year old boy. He said, I remember being in the church and said, I was all the way in the back. 
said, I must have been a cantankerous young fella. said, I got under the back pew and I crawled all the way to the front. The preacher was preaching, he said, but I wasn't paying no attention. But he said, just at the moment that my head come out from under the pew, he said, I'm sure the preacher wasn't conscious of me. He was just preaching. But he said, when my head appeared, said he looked at me and pointed his finger and quoted John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said that went into me and it didn't come out until that day I stepped down off of that porch of stealing all that copper. And he said, that's the day I realized what it was all about. Grace had taken over. Made him aware. Made him aware. You say, well, this old world don't understand. Well, that ain't up to you. Let that grace do the work. A maze of grace when he was not aware of his grace. A maze of grace to make him aware of his grace. But the last thing that I would say to you shortly is that this grace, this maze of grace was working to use him to make others aware of grace. Ephesians 3, verse number 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. Think about that. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul said, I am a grace preacher. But it was the law that brought him to grace. But once he got turned loose on the trail of grace, there wasn't no stopping. Who would have believed that the great spearhead of the gospel, the man out in front, that God is going to use to spread the truth of the saving grace of God was the same man that was the spearhead enemy of Christ and the church. Amaze of grace. Even when he came to Jerusalem, they were bum-fuzzled about this Paul who used to be Saul. I want to encourage the church to realize that as we look around in the darkness of this old world, the very people that you think there's no hope for, grace may be fixing to bring a light. You say, but it's dark and it's bad and it's evil. Yeah, but that's where grace goes.
tell us in his missionary journeys that he traveled by foot, those that have estimated, some 15,000 miles for the gospel. That would be like me and you walking across the United States and then back. Five times. And I would have to say to you that I believe that if you can measure important events in this world, we all know that Christ and the cross, death, burial, and resurrection is the greatest event that ever happened in this world bar none. I think we'd have to say that Moses and how God used him would have to be somewhere there in the top five, wouldn't you think? Could you imagine a world that had never experienced a Moses and what God did through him? But amidst that rating, I would have to put the Apostle Paul right up there somewhere on one side or the other of Moses. You say, why? Because, honey, you and I, and I know God has his ways of working, but in the maze of grace, God took the least, and he said, I am the least, and he took the worst. He said, I was a blasphemer, he called himself. He took the apostle Paul, the enemy of enemy of the kingdom of God, turned him around, and put a message of saving grace in his heart that has been going on and touched the world for how many years? As a matter of fact, they commissioned him. They said, you got the message of grace. Go preach it. And here he went. God directed him in such a way until ultimately that message came to my heart and your heart. And could you imagine a world in which there was no Apostle Paul in which God could work in his heart to send the truth of grace to every one of us. It's amazing how grace works, isn't it? But it is, in all of our lives, a maze of grace. (laughs) You see, he doesn't just want us to know about this grace. He let us know because there's one more out there that needs to know about this grace. I'll give you an illustration and I'll close. Fellow came up to me and he said, Preacher, I want to uh, share with you the testimony of my family. I said, Well, I'd love to hear it. He said, Well, my grandpa, before I was even born, they told me the story, went into the old country store in the community, and he said there was a preacher that came in there, a Church of God preacher, and said he got the witness into my grandfather. He said, as they told me, my grandfather got saved and said he came home and told my grandmother. 
and said she went to church and she got saved. Said my dad was a small boy, but they took him to church until he got saved. And he said, uh, then later on I was born and I got saved. He said, uh, I was working on, my dad was working on the job at a meal in the community there, the little town. Said he was witnessing to a fella and he said that fella got saved. Said he got to working with another man in the plant and said he got saved. He said that man got to witnessing to another man in the plant and said he got saved and said then that man got transferred to a different part of the plant. And he got to witnessing to a very young man that had just come to work. And he said, that young man got saved. But he said, what we didn't realize when we all got together and got to talking about it, that last young man was the great-grandson of the old preacher that won my grandpa to the Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> hey, don't give up on grace. I'm glad the day that grace was birthed in my heart. I was not only born to worship, but thank God I was born.